The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. If you have your bulletin inside, there are some study notes that we'll be looking at as we continue our series in the new year on the Feast of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23 is one of the places that we've been looking at. And the very first of the seven feasts is the Feast of Passover. As you settle in a little bit, get your Bibles out. Boys and girls are being dismissed. Let me remind you to continue to pray for Brother Dwayne. Um, he is still in the hospital, had surgery, of course, brain surgery, and uh, may be able to be released a little later on this week. He's still in tremendous, tremendous pain. Matter of fact, uh, I visited him last night, and he did have... Uh, uh, a good amount of pain, but after I left, Nancy told me that they had to put him on morphine. So it's severe, and uh, we just want to ask that the God would just give him grace at this time and help as uh, he recovers. Now, for those that uh, were here the very first Sunday, we introduced the Feast of the Lord in uh, Leviticus 23, and some go, Leviticus 23, what are we doing there? Uh, it's stuck right here in this early book in the Bible, one of the books of Moses, we're examining God's calendar. And you say, what in the world is God's calendar? God told the world ahead of time exactly what was going to take place prophetically, beginning with his son and his death on the cross. One of the feasts highlight his resurrection, Pentecost, uh, the rapture that's yet to come at the Feast of the Trumpets, and then right into the tribulation period as well as the millennial reign of Christ where God tabernacles with man. And so we're going to look at these seven feasts and we're going to see, first of all, that God's interested in allowing us to see the beginning and really the end. He's allowing us through His Word prophetically to see some marvelous truth. We saw several weeks ago a description of the feasts. They were his gathering. These are not the feasts of the Jews, as are mentioned in the New Testament. These are the feasts of the Lord. What's the feast all about? It's all about coming together to meet with God. Our theme for this new year revolves around the reality that we want to draw near to God. And that's exactly what the Lord was commanding the Jewish nation to do. Three times a year, all the young men were required to come. And these seven feasts are all going to be celebrated in those three periods. Two in the spring, one in the fall. We see a description of the feast. We saw that it was a convocation. It was a holy gathering, but it was also a happy gathering. I mean, it was a celebration. This is God's people getting together to be with the Lord. God's design was that in a personal way, His people would gather together to worship Him. And that's why we're gathered together on this day. And so as we gave an introduction here to the feast, we began last week with looking at the Passover from the Old Testament perspective. And that was found in Exodus chapter 12. Remember, the children of Israel were bondage in Egypt 430 years. God allowed them uh, from that small group of Joseph first and then Jacob and, 
and uh, all of uh, his uh, relatives, they went to Egypt, and now you're looking 430 years later, and you have several million that are in slavery to Pharaoh, and God's design was to set them free, deliverance. If you're here without Jesus Christ this morning, can I tell you that God's design is for your deliverance, for your salvation? He provided a way for all of us to know for sure that we can spend eternity with Him. Even in the Old Testament, we have a picture of Jesus Christ as a type, showing God's eternal plan and how He would send His Son as the Passover to die for us, that He would be buried, that He would rise again, that it would be the Holy Spirit that would carry on the work of the church that Jesus built, Matthew 16 that that church would have a harvest season where we would be able to be God's tool in reaching out to mankind. And then that church will one day hear that trumpet sound. And that feast of the trumpets that's celebrated in the fall comes right after the harvest season. The trumpet's going to sound. And the Bible says, The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive shall be gathered together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The rest of those feasts are going to deal with the nation of Israel. We're going to get to that. What's the tribulation period? What's going to go on? What's God doing in drawing back a nation to Jerusalem? And then finally, that millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ, that is seen in the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so we're just going to take them one by one. Old Testament Passover last week. Let's go to the New Testament Passover. I want you to just with me uh, study together from the New Testament here a little bit that I think will really encourage you and uh, allow us to see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 is the first verse I want to draw your attention to. For the Bible says this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. Now catch what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Listen carefully. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. In the New Testament, what do we have? We have the revelation that Christ is the Passover. That all of those lambs that were slain for those 1,500 years were all a picture in type of Jesus Christ, of the reality that God was sent His Son. Oh, we have types all through the Old Testament of the reality of Mount Calvary and Jesus dying for our sins, Abraham taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah. You know, that's the spot where Jesus was crucified. Mount Moriah was the place that Isaac, the only son, was, his life was to be laid down. And we see that Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of that. So the New Testament tells us as believers, Christ is our Passover. He's the one that is the only escape from the death angel. Go back with me just in your mind to last week, Exodus 12. What happened? Well, Pharaoh, through ten different plagues, uh, was brought to a place where finally he recognized, we're going to let Israel leave. And the things that God used to bring Pharaoh to his knees, one by one, more graphic these plagues are until the tenth plague, where every eldest of both beast and 
man in a family, the oldest son, their life was to be forfeited that night. And the only way for that to be a a, a non-reality in that household is the Passover. That's taught in Exodus 12. They had to go out and they had to find that lamb. And uh, Exodus 12 says that uh, on the 10th day of the month of Nicene, that they would take that lamb and they would set it aside. And for the next four days, they had to examine that lamb to make sure it was absolutely perfect. No broken limbs, no bruises, uh, not sick, not not deaf, not, not blind. No imperfection whatsoever because that lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so for all those years, the children of Israel would bring that Passover lamb and they would watch it for those days and then that blood of that innocent was shed. The blood was taken and put on the doorpost and that was the barrier between the death angel and the eldest living in that household. And the Bible says when God saw the blood, he passed over. Can I tell you something this morning that Jesus Christ is our Passover and when God saw his blood, it was acceptable. He shed his blood for my sins. He shed his blood and took my hell so that for me, I could spend eternity with God forever. And that's God's plan for each and every one of us. If we would see that Christ is our Passover. Now, one of the astounding things is, think about this, 1,500 years before, God's calling the people together to celebrate what in type will be the sacrifice of his son. Now, does that in your own mind compute? He calls the people to celebrate the fact that his son is going to lay down his blood for all the sins of the world. And God the Father was pleased, Isaiah 53 tells us. He was pleased to smite his son. Why? Because through the blood, your salvation and my salvation can be secured. Through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can be reconciled to a holy God. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God with him. What does that mean? That means there was a great exchange. God took my sin on himself. He gave his righteousness and put it on my account. And so instead of me personally having to pay for my sin debt, Jesus already paid for it. By accepting Christ and being in Christ, Not only is my sin forgiven, but I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed on my account. And it's a wonderful thing. Why? Because Christ is my Passover. So number one, and I'm going to go lightning fast, all right? So stay with me. Number one, what's the qualifications of our Passover? What are the qualifications? I have them listed in the bulletin. This is all from last Sunday's message from Exodus 12. You can study it on your own. But the Bible laid out clearly in Exodus 12 that they had to first of all select a lamb. Verse 3, it was a single lamb. It was a young male. The Bible says that it was to be shared if there was too much meat for one household, another household could come in. By the way, Jesus needs to be shared. Number four, it had to be spotless without blemish according to verse 5. It had to be sequestered. 
verse 3, for the time between the 10th and the 14th. We're going to come back to that in a few moments because that is absolutely fulfilled in the New Testament. Just set aside to see, is there any blemish? Is there any flaw? Is this the perfect lamb? The lamb would be slain in the evening or between the evenings. Historically, the Jewish people there, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at the end of the Passover. Now, uh, just, just for a second, let me teach you something. The Jewish uh, day starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. All right. Now, this is something that's hard for us to compute because when does our day start? Midnight. All right, so we're we're kind of strange as well. We start our day in the middle of the night. Uh, they start their day as well, but theirs is six hours earlier at six o'clock, and then they have a twenty-four hour period. But most of the time, when you when you read the Bible about the different hours of the day, they're referring to the morning hours. So uh, it would be, uh, you know, the third hour of the day, the sixth hour of the day, the ninth hour of the day, the twelfth hour of the day. They're describing nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock, six o'clock. It's the end of their day. So biblically, as we look at even the sequester of this lamb, you're going to find out that what the Bible prophesied concerning Jonah and Jesus As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so must the Son of Man also be three days and three nights. Now, I know tradition in some churches, they they make a big deal about uh, Good Friday. I've never made a big deal about Good Friday. You say, Pastor, why don't we make a big deal about Good Friday? Well, because that's kind of a man's thing. It's not a Bible thing. It actually teaches a doctrine contrary to the Scripture. Because the Bible says three days and three nights. Jesus was not buried Friday and rise on Sunday. That's not what the Scripture teaches. So Good Friday is really a misnomer. Jesus Christ actually would have been crucified on Wednesday. We're going to go through some of that. But what we're going to see here is that Jesus fulfilled the law. Every bit of it. And and the reality is is that he is qualified to be the Passover. He was slain. He became our substitute. And then he sustains us for the journey. Yea, they had to eat that lamb before they left Egypt. Matter of fact, the Bible said they already had their shoes on their feet. They had a staff in their hand. If you read through Exodus 12, it's fun. The preparation, they were on their way out of Egypt. You know, the, more, the moment you come to Jesus Christ alone as your Passover, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You don't stay in Egypt. You're delivered. God set you free. And you, as a child of God, now on a, a new journey in the Lord. And that new journey began the moment you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the the wonderful blessing that you and I have is now He sustains us in our Christian walk. I'm feeding on the Lord. The Lord uh, is my nourishment and strength and help. And, And this is exactly what the qualifications were that we looked at from the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. I want us to see, number two, the presentation of our Passover. Would you go with me to John chapter number one? Gospel of John. And we're going to see some wonderful verses in John here today that actually 
allow us to see that Jesus truly was qualified to be the Passover. And, and get this. Exactly as God prophetically said that this is when the lamb is taken, this is when the lamb is watched, this is when the lamb is crucified. In order for Jesus to be the Messiah, that had to take place at the exact same time that it was going on throughout all the land of Egypt. And I'm going to show that to you from your Bible this morning. That Jesus Christ was being prepared as they were preparing the Passover lamb. That Jesus Christ there was being killed at the time between the evens uh, there at 3 o'clock. Of course, miraculously, there was darkness that covered. Remember that? Uh, From the sixth hour to the ninth hour. But there at the ninth hour, he gave up the ghost. That would have been 3 in the afternoon. I'm telling you, that's when that Passover lamb here uh, is slain. And it's all to take place before the end of the day, which is 6 o'clock. Six o'clock would have been six in the evening, the end of that Passover. And so we see all of this taking place during that time. So in the presentation of our Passover, I want you to see, first of all, the call of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an interesting character because prophetically he was to be the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So John's job was to announce that the Lamb of God has arrived. The Passover is here. His name is Jesus Christ. He's Jesus of Galilee. And the Bible declares to us here in John 1 some wonderful truth about who John is. It says that uh, in verse number 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So here the call of John, uh, sent by God. God had him on a special errand. Uh, Physically, I guess you could say he's the cousin. His uh, uh, mother Elizabeth, uh, of course, uh, is uh, uh, related here to uh, the Virgin Mary, and she's going to give forth a a child, and and, uh, we see that John the Baptist is also miraculously going to be born. Um, the, uh, The Word of God allows us to see that John had a special purpose to accomplish, and that was to uh, follow the call of God in pointing out uh, the Lamb of God. So we see the call, but there's also a confession. I want you to see, as they came to Jesus, verse 20 of chapter 1, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. See, he had such a following that they thought, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's the Christ. Who is this John the Baptist in the wilderness? Who is this fellow with the camel's skin and eating locust and honey in the wilderness? Who is this strange man uh, that was a Nazarite? A Nazarite had to grow out their hair. Who is this individual? Uh, is he the Messiah? He said, I'm not. He confessed that he was not. And then he, he said who he was. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord. By the way, if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, 
just write down a reference next to this verse, and that reference would be Isaiah 40, verse 3. You say, why? Well, they go through Isaiah about their being witnesses, and Isaiah 40, verse number 3, tells us uh, of this incident prophetically. You're looking at me. Let me just go and just uh, read the verse, okay? That might help all of you. All right, Isaiah chapter number 40. I didn't want to get on a rabbit trail today. Here we go. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Capital L, capital O-R-D is Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Jehovah's Witness does not believe that Jesus is God. Here in John chapter number 1, John the Baptist describes himself as this guy. I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for who? For Jehovah. And now in John chapter number 1, what does he say? Verse number 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. You talk to a Jehovah's Witnesses now, say, listen, isn't there, you know, God in the Old Testament? He's the Lord. He's Jehovah, correct? Yes, 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 yes. Then I open my Bible and say, now, who's John the Baptist heralding? This is a prophetic fulfillment. He's heralding the coming of the Lord. But they don't believe that. They don't believe that Jesus is God. But they've got a real dilemma now. Because the New Testament declares that it is. And that he's preparing the way for who? The Lord. Matter of fact, look at verse 29. Here he is. The next day he sees Jesus. And the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God that cometh to take away the sin of the world. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 3. He is the one that God called. His confession was, I'm not the Messiah. But the next day he said, that's the Messiah. He's heralding, preparing the way of the Lord. All right? And that was the cry of John the Baptist. Now let's go, number three, to the examination of our Passover. Number three, the examination of our Passover. I want you to go to John chapter number 12 so we can get the chronology. And you need to see this in your own Bible. Because I tell you what, it gets me excited because God is so exact. God is outside of time and space, so God knows the beginning and the end. God could lay out prophetically exactly to every detail what would take place concerning the coming of His Son and the accomplishing of the work of the Son. And here in John chapter number 12, we're coming now to these last few days of the life of Jesus Christ. And you need to catch the verbiage. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of, what does it say? Help me. The feast of what? The Passover. Oh, this is interesting. Jesus has really kept himself away from Jerusalem because his disciples says they want to kill you. Remember when Lazarus was sick uh, and Jesus said, we got to go. And they said, no, 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 we can't go. Don't you know that if you go to Bethany, which is right near to Jerusalem, that they will kill you? And Jesus said, no, I must go. 
And so in John 11, Jesus goes to Bethany and we see the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus there laid out in that chapter. Uh, but the disciples finally said, okay, we're going to go with them and we'll die. You know, they, I mean, that's the kind of conflict that was going on at this time uh, between Jesus and his followers and uh, the religious rulers of, of the Jews in Jerusalem. They desired in their mind, he's an imposter. In their mind, oh, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? And they were convinced this cannot be the Messiah. So what does verse number one tell us here? And this is great. John 12, verse 1. Uh, then Jesus, I, I was in verse 13. I'm sorry, I, I didn't want to get there yet. Chapter 12, go back there, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. That happened in the previous chapter. He's coming back to Bethany. And now in Bethany, the Bible says it's how many days before the Passover? Help me. Six days before the Passover. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? Because... In order to truly be the Messiah, he had to fulfill to the letter exactly God's plan laid out in Exodus 12. So now what does the scripture teach? All right, so from verse number 1, I want you to move forward to verse number 12. Verse 12 says, on the what day? On the next day. All right, so if we're six days out before the Passover, and now the next day would have to be how many days out? Five days out, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is amazing. Jesus came to the town of Bethany six days before the Passover since the Passover was celebrated on the 14th day of Nisan. This would mean that Jesus came to Bethany on the ninth day of Nisan. And if the next day is the next day, then the next day would be the tenth day of Nisan. And what happens on the tenth day of Nisan? The lamb is selected and scrutinized and looked at. And for these next days, Jesus has become the object of everybody's attention in Jerusalem. And everybody's examining him from every which way to declare, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Isn't, it one, isn't the word of God wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that you serve a God that already knows the beginning from the end? That your God is in control. He is ruling and reigning. And that we can put our absolute faith and confidence in the God that knows the beginning from the end. And the scripture goes on and allows us to see uh, that reality. So from John 12 verse 1, now we have the next day and all of a sudden this is the day that the crowds come out with their palm branches and they're crying out on the 10th day of Nicene, the day that Jesus was foreordained to get on that colt and ride through the streets of Jerusalem and the crowd saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the crowd confessed 
He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's that perfect one that John the Baptist spoke of, the Lamb of God. Oh, now, as you go through the text, we start to see this examination. Not just the people declaring him to be the Messiah, their king, but now also, let's go back to the authorities. Go with me to Matthew 21. I know I've got you paging different places today, but I I need you to see in your own Bibles what goes on in this last few days, these days of examination. In chapter number 21, this is the same period. Look at verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, bring them to me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he went, uh, uh, straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled. And as you go through the text, you see verse 9, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, the son of David. There it is. That's during this period. That's starting on the 10th of Nisan. That's the same period of time that God providentially in Exodus 12 says, I just want you to study the Lamb. You picked it out, and now starting on the 10th, you're just going to look at it and examine it and make sure that it is all that it's supposed to be. Can I tell you, Israel declared it to be, he's the Messiah, he's the son of David. But the rulers of the Jews, not so much. Let's start looking at the text here a little bit. Go to Matthew 22 for just a moment. I want you to see, beginning now, during this examination time, all this is taking place. Matthew 22. uh, The the, the Jews, if you would go this afternoon and read uh, just chapter number 21 and 22, you're going to see some of the hardest preaching that you've ever heard in your life. Jesus is not holding back, and his audience are the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And I'm telling you, he blisters them, and he blisters them real good. I mean, he calls them, you know, things that um, a lot of people would say, well, that's not nice. And uh, yet he was being absolutely truthful in what he was saying. He accused them of being murderers. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you a parable about a servant. And, and, uh, and there's uh, uh, folks that had taken over uh, this man's uh, uh, property and watched it. And uh, he sent servants to collect tribute. And they murdered the servants, speaking of the prophets. And then he sent more servants, and they murdered those servants, speaking of prophets that were killed by the Jewish leaders. And then he sent another servant, and that was killed. And finally, he sent his own son. And then he looked at that crowd and he said, and they killed his son. What do we do to a man or to these people? Look at what the Jews declared in verse 17 of chapter 20. I'm sorry. That's the next page. Chapter 22, verse 41. Here's what they they cried after they heard this story of Jesus. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their 
seasons. They were upset. How could anybody not only kill all the servants, but kill the son instead? And then comes the jab. Here's Jesus. Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on thy stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the Pharisees had heard this parable. They perceived that he spake of them. So from here on out, it's a hatred for Jesus who was just speaking truth. And so now as we come to Matthew 22, verse 16, they're going to try to ensnare him. I'm going to read verse 15 first of all. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou uh, regardest not the person of man. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So this is sent out the Herodians, questions about tribute. And Jesus, as only Jesus could, says, somebody give me a coin. Give me a coin. Whose inscription's on the coin? Oh, that's Caesar. All right, well, render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. Render unto God that which is God's. And the Herodians and their questions, thinking that they could snare Jesus, the Bible tells us that they could not. When they had heard this, these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Don't have time to go through it, but the Sadducees came and they questioned about the resurrection and uh, a lot of what happened in the book of Ruth that we recently studied. And uh, boy, you got a man and he died without having an heir. And uh, that widow is now, is she now to marry the brother so that they can have seed in the name of that deceased brother? And they went seven generations and they said, now whose wife is this going to be? She was passed from man to man to man to man, never bearing any children. And, uh, of course, Jesus is going to give an answer only as Jesus can. Notice verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Remember, the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. All right, so the Sadducees came. The Herodians came. If you read verse 34 and 35, the lawyers are coming. All right, these are those that knew the law and taught the law. But when the Pharisees, verse 34, had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest command in the law? And so here the lawyer is asking that awesome question question and Jesus answers it as only Jesus can. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And these two commands hang the whole law. So group after group coming to try to ensnare Jesus with his own words, with his own talk, fail one after another. Herodians, Sadducees, the lawyers, the Pharisees come back and they thought, okay, if you, got, if you want to get a job done, you got, to, you got to do it yourself, right? So they had sent these three groups. None of them were successful. So now look at what the Pharisees have to say in verse number 41. 
While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? They say unto them, The son of David. He said unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstools. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither dost any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They challenged his authority, then they tried to entangle him with arguments. They examined the lamb, and they came back. I have nothing to answer. Number four, look at the preparation of our Passover. And this is all that we're going to be able to cover here this morning. Uh, the preparation time. This is so important that we see what God has to say. The leaders of the Jews at this point, through Judas, and you know the story, they allow him to become their means of, of uh, being able to take Jesus Christ at night. And we see here that during this time of preparation for the Passover, uh, so many things take place, and the Bible confirms it. And for lack of time, just go back to John chapter, uh, let's see, where do I want you? John uh, chapter 18. John is the one that allowed us to see John the Baptist saying, oh, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God. And he keeps with that theme because the Lamb of God had to fulfill the type of the Passover, slain for the sins of the world. John 18 Notice verse number 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. I want us to see here that the Bible confirms that this time of examination is coming to a close, and it's almost the Passover. And the Scripture simply says that they did not want to go into the hall of judgment. Why? Because that day, they would have to offer their lamb, and they would have to consume that, and they didn't want to defile themselves. Now remember, the day started the night before at 6 o'clock. And folks, everything that you and I read from that 6 o'clock about the, the, the Last Supper and going out into the garden and then being in the garden arrested and then in the middle of the night being brought to Caiaphas and mocked there and then early in the morning brought before Pilate and then Pilate actually just at that time uh, tries on the celebration of Passover, they were to release a prisoner every year, and the Passover was that day. They were to celebrate it that night, and they said, on Passover, we give you a prisoner. Here, I'm going to let you take Jesus. And they said, we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. And all this is going so very quickly because they don't want to defile themselves. They want to crucify Jesus. They want him to hang there. And so from 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, Jesus Christ was suspended between heaven and earth. And then he cried out, it is finished. And as on that day, little lambs were being slaughtered all over the lamb, 
land. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Passover, also shed his blood for us. Notice John 18, what the Bible says here in verse number 39. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Do you see it? The very day that they're all consumed with their religious feast of the Passover, the true Passover lamb is standing right in front of them. And what they're about to do with that innocent little lamb at home, they are doing to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And it all happened on that Passover day. And we see that truly Jesus fulfilled exactly what the Old Testament said the Messiah would have to fulfill as the Lamb of God. Now go with me to John chapter 19, verse 14. Catch these words. And it was the preparation of the Passover. Do you, do you see it? Is it connecting? And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Go to verse 31. Then the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. It wasn't a Saturday, and that's where I think people get confused. It was the high Sabbath. It was the Passover celebration on the 15th. And now the Bible tells us that uh, they, they just wanted to hurry home to their end-of-the-day Passover celebrations, and so they asked, would you just break their legs so that we can go on with our festivities? And the word was given, yeah, go ahead. They had to get these bodies off before the end of Passover. And so they went there and uh, they broke the legs of the two men on both sides, but Jesus had already died. Perfectly fulfilled the prophecy concerning the Lamb of God, not a bone broken. Folks, this is all God's eternal plan. And it happened just as God declared it to happen. And God is desiring for us to recognize that He is our Passover. I'm going to just close with reading a couple verses beginning in chapter 19, verse number 38. Look at this. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloth, cloth with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. They laid there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' Preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Do you see? They had the. You can't work uh, uh, the beginning of the, the 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 feast of unleavened breads would take place for seven days, and and there was to be no labor, no work, and so they're rushing, rushing, rushing. Oh, there's the close tomb. Let's put him there. Why? Because it was coming to the close of the Passover, and in every specific area, Jesus Christ fulfilled God's requirement. And today, you and I in the New Testament age 
Yes, we look back to Exodus 12 and say, what a wonderful picture, but we have something better to look back to. We look back to Calvary, and we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Lamb of God that came to take away my sin. Oh, that we would learn from these feasts the wonder of Jesus and the need to draw nigh to Him. If you're here without Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, it's time to come to Christ, the Passover. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.